0: community engagement youth work inspiring young people's lives and the power in which you can do that is a very difficult challenging thing but when you do it well and you do it right it has power and I wanted to share that story ultimately
1: we managed to create technologies to extend our lives but we still didn't manage to create the world the society where we want to live longer
2: Doing what I do, we need to improve our communication because often there's a temptation to make things overly complicated so that you're like a small little group that understands it. People use a lot of jargon, whereas actually, I think the essential ideas can actually be explained to people, and in in a way that that, that everybody can really at least get you know get get a significant way towards understanding.
3: Nova New Opportunities is the main community sponsor for TEDx Labbrook Grove. The live event has felt like a long time coming. Originally planned for November 2020, the pandemic saw us push back until May 2021. In that time, our amazing team of volunteers have been working extremely hard behind the scenes, from coaches working alongside our incredible speakers to designers, marketing, operations and project managers. In this podcast, we speak to some of our speakers to get a bit of background. Eric, welcome to our podcast. Thank Great. you, Lizzie. Lovely to have you. And you're one of our TEDx Labrick Grove speakers for 2021. Incredible. And so you have a very uh, prolific uh, background. You've been extremely successful on all measures. What inspired you to want to speak at TEDx?
2: I feel very strongly about about my community in London. And my other passion in life professionally is is about economics and particularly bringing economics to a broader audience and making it accessible. So I'm an economist by training, but the talk is on a subject that I think is important, which is anger. And it's an area that I've been researching over the last five years or so. And funnily enough, I find anger is an emotion that everybody understands but it also provides us with a lens to understanding the economy. I think it's a helpful way of making some of these difficult and abstract economic ideas more accessible to more people.
3: I think I'm tempted to ask what was the last thing that made you angry?
2: I mean that's a good question. So one of the distinctions between like private and public. And of course, when we get angry in our private lives, it tends to be about shame. When you get angry about some sort of public event, I suppose, yeah, I probably get angry about like, like really bad economic decisions being made. I think this is something that... So, you know, I, I, I feel very, very strongly that there has to be a sense of urgency in really the whole recovery coming out of COVID that is a, such a great opportunity to make create better jobs for people, a more sustainable environment and economy and b- believe it or not, those are the kinds of things, if I'm listening to the radio or watching TV, that made me really cross.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I think you're in a privileged position there in terms of judging what's bad economics, because I think, you know, that's part of the challenge that we can't protest and we can't get angry because we don't know what's good and what's bad because our level of understanding of economics is just n- not good enough.
2: Absolutely, Lizzie. And I suppose that very point is something that I care an awful lot about, is I think people... Doing what I do, we need to improve our communication because often there's a temptation to make things overly complicated so that you're like a small little group that understands it. People use a lot of jargon, whereas actually, I think the essential ideas can actually be explained to people, and in, in a way that, that that everybody can really at least get you know get get a significant way towards understanding.
3: Who would you most like to hear your talk? If you could choose your audience who would be in your audience? Uh,
2: that's a really interesting question you know because I, 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 I would like to, to I, I think of myself as somebody who can relate to everybody you know I, I grew up in Ireland and I was a my mother was a migrant so because she came in she came from her parents had migrated from Italy Uh, She was born in Italy and when I was growing up in Ireland it was very very rare that there was anybody around who wasn't Irish. Everybody was kind of you know had freckles and and bright blue eyes Um, and our family was very different and I I guess I've, I've always viewed it as a very important human trait to be able to talk to and relate to people from any background whatsoever, even people who you completely disagree with. I'm very grateful for anybody who listens.
3: And do you think that's a big, I mean, the way you speak of it, about having sort of mixed heritage, in a sense, and being slightly different from those other people around you, do you think that's influenced your journey?
2: You know, I think it had a huge influence on my journey. One of the things in particular it made me very alert to is kind of tribalism or or nationalism specifically, because Ireland, when I was growing up there, nationalism really was a problem. The word that was terrorism, it was based on a sort of lie because um, actually the the people within the community were diverse anyway. So the idea that we're all Irish, we all think the same, act the same was just so untrue. And it felt to me, uh, I was very, very conscious of that. There was something about it that made me very uneasy having witnessed how dangerous nationalism can be and i guess yeah it just i, I think it, it encouraged me to be more empathetic at some level or at least uh, i try to be as a result of that
3: sergey young it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today.
3: So Sergey, you're one of our speakers for 2021 TEDx Ladbroke Grove. That is incredible to have you. And the first question I'd like to ask is, what inspired you to want to speak at TEDx?
1: My mission is to change one billion lives by bringing affordable and accessible version of healthcare and longevity to the world. You know, obviously to change one billion lives you need to reach out so many people well that's you know i thought it tedx is the best platform to do this
3: and what was it about elaborate Grove that made you want to join our platform
1: <clears throat> uk is a country of 66 million people is one of the best countries in the world for huge massive change and transformation in healthcare and longevity because of the COVID, it's it's a huge wake-up call for all of us, but for UK as well. So we have all the opportunities to bring the digital healthcare, to bring a lot of new things from science and technology of longevity, and, you know, we have an opportunity to add 5, 10 healthy and happy years to everyone's life.
3: Yeah, so, I mean... It begs the question, why longevity? Of all the amazing things you can study and focus on, what is it about longevity that uh, attracts you? And
1: we work a lot to extend human life, right? And uh, for the last 100 years, the average life expectancy in the world grew almost two times. There's so many people who are afraid of living longer lives because they think that they're going to spend the last five or 10 years of their time of their life in uh, the condition, in the state where they they do require a lot of support. They're burdened for their families and communities. So this is is the thing that I want to change. We've been able to change through investing, through my Longevity Vision Fund, or through supporting different technologies which cure uh, very difficult, I call them killer diseases like cancer or heart disease, uh, or even kind of writing the book which will give you know our audience, our public more knowledge and excitement about longevity revolution.
3: So when you talk about improve, improving people's quality of life, or well, the end of life so sort of ten, last 10, five, five 10 years, are you talking for, uh, primarily in a medical sense rather than in a social sense, for example?
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, well that's that's an interesting topic and actually it's pretty much linked to the topic that, um, what I'm going to be presenting at uh, our TEDx. We, w- every time we, we tend to think about our lives, every time we tend to think about our health, it, by default, in majority of cases, we think about our physical body. But uh, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that we're making. Uh, our sense of fulfillment, our happiness, the harmony and the balance that we have with our community, with the society where we're living, is probably the most important determinants of our ability to enjoy all these years, all the quality or what we define as the quality of our life. So that's why I'm very keen to bring not only healthy, but also happy years. And I have like a special bucket in my longevity framework. It's called peace of mind. It is about simple things like meditation and sleep, more complex things like your happiness, sense of purpose, acts of kindness, and contribution that you can do and you can bring to society and people around you. We managed to create technologies to extend our lives, but we still didn't manage to create the world, the society, where we want to live longer. Well, that's the biggest obstacle. That's the biggest gap that I see between what what society and science can bring to us and how much of this we want to accept and embrace for the benefit of everyone. We need to think about our norms. We need to think about how the world should change for us to enjoy it. And for us to, you know, people to be more and more equal and have equal access to all these, you know, beautiful breakthrough technologies which can change everyone's life. So that's, that's my mission. And we need to start this dialogue. Start this dialogue with morality of immortality, awareness of what are the ethical trade-offs that we're all facing while we are on exciting road to extend our lives. And, and I do think without changing a lot of cultural norms, without our own participation in making the world better, it's just going to be very difficult to enjoy any outcome of any, even the most brilliant technology that we will have in the future.
3: I mean, it's amazing to hear you say that. And it is kind of reassuring. It's like, sergey has got our back. <laughs> um, but especially in kensington and chelsea you know where we deliver the the talk elaborate grove you know the disparity at the moment the life expectancy is over 15 years between the north and the south of the borough the wealthier and the poorer and in some populations up to 28 years life expectancy. this is
1: this is just awful i think and uh i'm just looking at the research done in u.s for some of these zip codes right this is a postal code even if this is too you know, regions in a neighborhood, uh, the gap is the same. It's like 15 to 20 years. Why is that? You know, uh, there's, there's no explanation apart, you know, apart from the fact that this world is not ideal. This world needs to be changed and the ethical norms that we need to revisit and reinstall to, you know, all of these really shocking facts I do believe that specifically with technology, which democratizing the cost of healthcare, democratizing our ability to have access to all these brilliant devices, applications, science pieces, technological breakthroughs, we should be able to enjoy the best of the medicine wherever we are in the world. In In the world of science and technology where we live today, there's no need for us to have anything which would cost us millions of dollars. We can bring it to the fraction of cost to everyone.
3: That sounds amazing. I can see why you're so positive. You, have, yes. you know all this stuff. <laughs> we don't know. Last question, just about your biggest learning on the journey of becoming a TEDx speaker.
1: Yeah, it was so well. The biggest discovery for me that we always assume we are like a you know mini model of universe. We're not. People are different, and uh, my biggest learning, unless you embrace the the diversity of views, unless you accommodate them in your own thinking and in your change plan, your change plan is going to be yours unless you will try to connect with everyone in the audience, everyone in the world to the extent that you can, and try to balance the difference of opinion, find a common ground, have an agreement, and move on with making world a better place
3: i mean in a sense it's your message is something that the world needs to hear right now essentially right
1: yeah perfect well that's why we all reconnecting in may and uh i'm very excited about joining uh, our own event and um be on our platform <laughs>
3: Whatever inspired you to apply (laughs) to be a speaker at TEDx? I've always really admired the TED
0: platform and I'm very connected to Labrack Grove and the community there is a big part of the work that I do and almost vice versa. The community is also part of the reason why I do the work that I do. So to be able to be on that platform and speak about my experiences of work that has impacted me, and then that I've then been able to support others through the work that I do. To be able to give that a professional platform for me was what inspired me, I think. Community engagement, youth work, inspiring young people's lives and the power in which you can do that is a very difficult, challenging thing, but when you do it well and you do it right, it has power. And I wanted to share that story, ultimately. I work for a national charity currently, but I I consider myself a youth and community strategist because I'm often consulted and brought in, sometimes quite quickly for emergency response. I've done lots of really small grassroots support work to get people to understand what youth engagement and youth voice looks like. You, You never really leave being a youth worker, whatever else you do moving forward you still somehow are always drawn back, I guess. Even though I work at a strategy level sometimes with other organisations, even when I work in the corporate sector with looking at how they can raise their corporate responsibility, I still always have that youth voice. Wherever the company is, I still put across and say, this might be what you want to do, but have you asked young people what they want? Part of my talk, I talk about two exceptional people and the reason why I've brought them in is because we often talk about but people from the point of exception, as though they've come from dark to light. And sometimes the point that makes somebody great is not absent, it's just still. And you just have to create either the space or let the voice be spoken so that that stillness can move. And once it moves, it becomes great. And I just really want to move away from this idea that everything has to come through a struggle and that we constantly talk about stories and narratives as though they are just growth from exceptional difficulty. Sometimes it's just, there's so much greatness out there especially in our young people, but that greatness is just still. And what can we do, whether that's somebody who works as a frontline youth worker or works and owns their own business, or works in the community with the elderly, or what what can we do to create a spark that moves stillness from a young person into greatness, because it's already there, and everything we do as a community must be about that, or we will have young people that will just detach themselves from us. We talk about the problems that they have as though they're compartmentalized and they're just education and it's just parents and it's just the lack of a youth service. Actually, it's absolutely everything and it's in language. It's that we don't celebrate them in everything that we do. And then they step away from us and we wonder how to bring them back in. But we never held on to them in the first place. This is the first, from what I'm aware, this is the first TED Talk that speaks to the power of youth work as a profession and that makes me proud because it's so undervalued. The experience and how I remember a specific time that I talk about through the talk around the riots in London in 2011, I was also cautious because that's going to bring up a lot of things for a lot of people. But then I remember really clearly someone saying to me once, if you're not brave enough to tell that story, then who will? Because nobody knows that story. And actually, it has to keep being retold so that we try not to revisit it.
3: Um, Can you tell me something about your journey to prepare for talking? What's it been like? It's definitely been up there as
0: one of, in the last 10 years, as one of the most emotionally and mentally challenging processes because of what it does to you as a person and it makes you question yourself I've had to ask myself a few times am I doing the right thing like am I good enough to be here and that's really scary to admit I think the other burden is that I ask myself am I honoring the people that I'm speaking about in a way that is true to my values and theirs and I think that's a huge responsibility but The experience is an incredible one because it strips you right back. So sometimes the things that you think you knew about yourself or about even your subject, when you are in this process, there is somebody there with you and they are quite rightly asking you to explain yourself. Because I speak from a point of, around my subject matter, quite privileged because I know it. And I just assume that everybody else knows So I say things like, you know, negative peer to peer influence, then somebody else is like, but what does that mean to me? And that's been amazing because actually sometimes I talk and I know that when I'm in my circles, when I talk with perhaps the CEO for an organization that's looking at a strategy for youth violence, for example, or I'm talking to a global company around their lack of new female trainees, for example, and why young women aren't engaging with their recruitment process I talk to them in a way that they assume that we, we there's an assumed language but actually for many of the other people that are impacted by what goes wrong for young people for teachers parents community people local residents that language it's, it's something different It's easy for other people to tell a TED because they can tell their TED and then they can almost close back into their space. But when your space is the community and it's in so much of what you do, you can't remove yourself or the talk then once it's been said. So yeah, it's going to still be, I think, a bit more of a one day at a time, one week at a time until it's over and then hopefully we can all um, relax. To see
3: our speakers' talks, head to the website at TEDxLabrickGrove.com.